And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 201 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.02 a.m. on July 5th, 2020. Here to join me today, post 4th of July, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Dan Baer. Does this mean the fireworks are finally over? I have no idea. <laughs> and also, Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Welp. If you looked out your window last night, you might have seen uh, what looked like uh, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner uh, with fireworks uh, going all over the city. Uh, lots of tweets about that last night. It was, it was actually pretty interesting to see. Uh, but yeah, we are, I guess, the we're, we're the brave ones, the recovering ones, the ones that uh, got through this morning's uh, hangover and lack of sleep to come on the pod today. So I really appreciate it. Or if you're like Michael, it's just every ever Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> But we have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, a lot of things happened uh, over the last week. And it's not even so much um, the news and things that happen in award season, but also, too, um, we're now at the halfway point officially of 2020. And even though this is going to be an extended film calendar year with the Oscar eligibility stretched out until the end of February, uh, there's still a lot of things to look forward to, I think, in terms of uh, movies to come. So I thought for today's episode, it would be a good idea to talk about 25 Oscar contenders that we are very much looking forward to. And so uh, we'll be diving into that um, over this episode. First and foremost, though, I want to start off by asking uh, Michael what it is that he caught up on uh, this week at home. Well, of course, the big one that I think we all saw was Hamilton. And we did a whole podcast review about that yesterday and how brilliant it is. Even as someone who has seen the show, it was just a totally unique experience watching this filmed recording. So if you haven't seen it yet, just, you know, make it a priority. Pause us and go watch it, then listen to the rest of the podcast because it's magnificent. The other movie I caught up with was on Netflix. So, of course, you could, uh, you could stream everything right now. And that is the documentary Disclosure, mm. which is a wonderful, you know, examination of trans representation or lack of trans representation in the media. But you get to see clips of films and TV shows over the years and show where we could do better and how there's been progress made in the past few years, but how there's so much more to go as we journey on and continue to, you know, commit to representation in media. So I thought it was very well done. Nice. Really good. Cool. Uh, let's hear now from Josh. So I did actually end up catching up on a couple of stuff throughout the week. Um, I did also see Hamilton and I am somebody that didn't have any experience with the show previously. I hadn't even really even listened to tracks, honestly. And Me too, Josh. Yeah. And and you know what? I got to say, Hamilton, pretty good. I don't know if you guys knew that. It's a pretty good show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I loved it. It's great. I don't think there's any more I can really add to that conversation. Uh, if you got the chance to see it, go ahead. There's even fewer excuses now. 
Um, but outside of that, there's a, there's also some uh, documentaries that I caught up with throughout the week. Um, one of them is this documentary called Welcome to Chechnya, which is now on HBO and I think was at Sundance, wasn't it, Matt? Yes, it was. Yeah. And got a lot of great word out of Sundance. And uh, I I did like it. I mean, it's a very heavy subject matter. It's about the um, roundup and torture of uh, LGBTQ people in Chechnya. So, you know, not the most, uh, you know, light subject matter. Very important. Um, I feel like it wasn't a great movie, though. Uh, there's something about the way that it tells its story I found to be kind of emotionally stunting and could have been slightly better, but I think the subject matter alone kind of deserves it to be seen. And it's on HBO right now. So um, it, most people I think can find it. And the other documentary I finally caught up with was the painter and the thief, which hmm. I am kind of baffled as to why this movie has so many good reviews. I, I really don't understand it. I, I think that, the premise of this documentary is sort of interesting. I'll give it that. But the way that it, that it is executed, I just found to be confusing. And there's this weird time structure to it that doesn't really get you invested in it. And the people that they're following just aren't really that interesting. And I was very disappointed by it, actually, which is a shame because it seemed like it had so many good reviews. But I... I do not really understand the hype around this one. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, I kind of feel a very similar uh, way there, Josh. I uh, tried watching it twice, and both times I actually couldn't get through it. It just didn't. It just didn't hold me. It didn't captivate me. Yeah, it's a shame. And I love documentaries. You know, they're usually are always on my top ten. Like I love the the format of them, but you got to have a compelling story. And I just. I thought this one had an interesting premise, but it did not go about telling it in an intriguing way. Okay. All right. And Dan Baer. Uh, so I watched movies that we've talked about on the podcast this week. I watched Nightcrawler, which is amazing. And please listen to our podcast review of that. And I watched Hamilton. Um more than once <laughs> <laughs> and please listen to our podcast review of that and also listen to our next best theater podcast review of the show itself um and uh, i also after the first time of watching hamilton i decided to take advantage of my brand shiny new disney plus membership and watched onward which may not have been the best choice for my emotional state at the time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but I, I really liked it. I, Isn't it, it sweet? I don't, I don't think it's top-tier Pixar, but it's very, very sweet and very clever and a lot of fun. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And those final moments, too, are just absolutely oh tear-inducing. <laughs> beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely loved it. Um, and also, you totally watch a spinoff about Octavia Spencer's character? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I want, I, I want a whole other movie. I want a TV series. I want everything about Corey. Um, yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> uh, and I, I like Josh. I... I also watched Welcome to Chechnya, and it's some powerful stuff. 
Oh, yeah. No, I have no doubt. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to catching it myself this week. Um, as mentioned before, um, I, too, watched Nightcrawler for our podcast review for our 2014 retrospective, Hamilton, uh, which we reviewed yesterday on the podcast, as Michael uh, said. And I also watched a movie called The Outpost, um, which was directed by uh, Rod Lurie. And uh, this was, you know, not a bad war movie by any means. It just wasn't like a great one. It's got two halves. The first hour is basically just setting up the camp, who these guys are that are defending this outpost. And this outpost is in the worst possible position you could imagine in Afghanistan, where it's pretty much like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, They are completely surrounded by mountains that give um, the Taliban like a clear uh, vantage point of all of them down on the ground. And it's just it's like indefensible. And the second hour is just nonstop carnage and mayhem as the uh, outpost gets attacked. And that's where the filmmaking like really comes alive. And Caleb uh, Landry Jones um, delivers a pretty good performance, I I thought, um, and really stood out amongst a cast of many, many men, uh, which, you know, can be very hard to do sometimes. But uh, I liked it. I liked it overall. So uh, that's currently streaming at the moment. Hi, guys. I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in... Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Uh, You know, let's start off with actually with Hamilton really quick. Uh, Last week's poll, uh, we asked everyone which 21st century musical would you like to see adapted to film? And listen, I think there's been a lot of talk about this this week. Hamilton, technically speaking, does qualify for the Oscars this year. However, because it's not a quote unquote film, I'm saying air quotes around this. I don't personally believe it is going to get far in the award season conversation. And listen, this is a very unpredictable year. Things can happen. And Disney might decide to put all their might behind this. And, you know, who knows what could happen as a result of that. There is precedent uh, for filmed stage. um, How how do I say this? There has been precedent for filmed stage productions that are not shot as quote unquote, like typical movies, so to speak, um, like something like in the Heights, which we will be seeing uh, sometime next year that have received uh, Oscar nominations. 
So for the purposes of the poll, though, uh, we were asking people, like, what would they like to see adapted to film in the same vein as something like a Chicago or in the Heights? And we have a list here. And uh, I'd like to just go around really quick and ask, uh, like, Michael, Michael, is there a uh, theater production musical that you have been, like, dying to see in a cinematic form? Yeah, we had touched on this quickly last week, but I just want to say it again. Fun Home, I think, would be a remarkable film. I think there's so much you can do creatively with that story and the multiple time periods. And I think with the right director and the right cast, the right team behind it, it could truly be something special. So I'm really looking forward to when that eventually happens. Okay. Dan Baer? I've said it once. I will say it a million times. Hollywood cast Tony Collette and Patrick Wilson in movie adaptation of Next to Normal Challenge. Okay. And Josh Parm? Well, speaking as a person who is a complete idiot when it comes to uh, staged musicals, and I don't know what I'm talking about, um, <laughs> the only one that really jumped to my mind is just when I I remember seeing clips of Hades Town, and that looked pretty interesting. Mm. But again, I'm a dullard when it comes to this subject, so you know, don't take my word that as seriously. And I've been absolutely dying to one day see that wicked musical i hate the fact that we're at a point now mm-hmm. where the original cast members are considered quote unquote too old to play those roles if they do the uh, film version and they've all become like major stars in their own right so there was a time where it seemed possible but that's that's a damn shame and it's also a shame too that i don't think a filmed version the same way that we got like with hamilton um in its full length exists for Wiki with the original cast. So we don't have that either, which is unfortunate. <laughs> there is a recording sitting in some archive somewhere in New York, but it's not done with the same creative, you know, style as Hamilton. Gotcha. Uh, that archive would be the Lincoln Center Library for the Performing Arts, Michael. Yes, of course. <laughs> so this is uh, narrowed down to 21st century musicals we try to keep this you know pretty thin uh we understand that some of these movies are in development and are coming but we haven't seen a trailer we don't know what they look like so i think just asking the question which one would you like to see adapted the film uh still applies here so let's uh round out the top 10 here and let's uh figure out what the results are so number 10 is bandstand hmm I like Bandstand. Now, there was a recording in the Hamilton style that was done for theaters a couple years ago. But yeah, that's something that could lend itself to a feature film. Mm -hmm. Number nine is Come From Away. Yes, that would be very interesting. There's uh, early talks of that happening relatively soon. Number eight, Avenue Q. (laughs) I love Avenue Q. I can't see that working as a movie. (laughs) Paging the Jim Henson Company. <laughs> Might be like the Happy Time Murders. <laughs> it's better no, than the Happy hope, Time Murders. I, I would hope is it is better than that. that. <laughs> Number seven is Fun Home. There we go. Number six, Next to Normal. Yeah. Number five is Hades Town. Look at that. Everyone's represented here today. We picked well. <laughs> I know. Number four is Dear Evan Hansen. Which is definitely happening. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like the casting has started for that one. It's going to pick up probably when COVID ends. It will happen when Ben Platt is in his 30s. And he will still be as charming as ever. 
<laughs> and the top three, all within four votes of each other. So it was very, very close. Number three is Spring Awakening. I would still be interested in that. You would need to do it like with a twist, almost like the revival from four years ago. But yeah, that would be oh. really interesting. God, that if they did a film of the Deaf West revival, I would, I would shit myself. That was so good. Number two is The Book of Mormon. <laughs> we will see that sooner or later. I think there's some. I think there's some mud in the tires with the Book of Mormon. It's still very funny, but it doesn't feel as fresh as it did nine years ago. But there's still a way to pull it off and make it fun. I love it so much. And number one, no surprise, is Wicked. Of course. Yeah, yeah that's not surprising at all. So for this week's poll, like I said before at the top of the show, we are in the second half technically of the year up until January 1st. Uh, obviously, our award season calendar is going to be longer than usual. However, uh, we're asking everyone, uh, despite that and despite the unknown certainty of when some of these films may or may not be coming out, uh, which film are you most looking forward to for the rest of the year? The films that are listed here with write-ins, um, I'm actually going to cover uh, right now. So I'm actually going to go in alphabetical order here, <laughs> and I would like to just hear some general thoughts reactions from you guys um on these uh films so first up here is after yang uh the film follows a father and daughter as they try to save the life of their robotic family member it is starring colin farrell jody turner smith justin h min and it is written and directed by koganada who uh previously gave us uh columbus hmm. i like the cast yeah, it's a very, very good cast. I actually don't know a ton about this movie, but the director and the people that are involved, like, that gets me interested in seeing it. Okay, next up. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about this movie. It seems like this was the type of movie that was going to get an early festival run and then stop by at all of the festivals. Um, it's Ammonite. Mm. 1840s England, an infamous fossil hunter and a young woman sent to convalesce by the deep, uh, by the sea, develop an intense relationship after... I'm sorry, altering both of their lives forever. Uh, written and directed by Francis Lee, starring Saoirse Ronan, Kate Winslet, Fiona Shaw. Carol by the Sea. <laughs> I like that. This does feel like a movie that film Twitter willed into existence. The only thing that's yeah. missing is Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <It's true>. <laughs> <laughs> and directed by Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Although Francis I Lee directed God's Own Country, and I love I, I God's Own Country. I love God's Own Country. That movie yeah. is so good. Yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to his follow-up. Was supposed to receive its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival uh, is now going to actually be one of the films that screens at TIFF digitally. Yeah. I am mm. very much on the Kate Winslet second Oscar train, so let's make that happen sooner than later. And we're all on the Saoirse Ronan first Oscar train, too. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Of course. Fingers crossed. Of course. Uh, next up here, this is an interesting one, uh, Annette. A stand-up comedian and his opera singer wife have a two-year-old daughter with a surprising gift. It is directed by Leos Carax, who you guys might remember from Holy Motors, and it is starring Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and Simon Helberg. Adam Driver sings I'm there. I've heard that it's a musical. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Holy Motors is the only Leos Carax film that I have seen, and it's an interesting movie. Like, I did like it, but it is... It is fascinating, is the description I would have for it. So it's a lot. It it is. (laughs) It is. So I am kind of looking at this one with the same amount of 
curiosity going into it. Next up here is Come On, Come On, uh, the new film from Mike Mills starring Joaquin Phoenix. An artist embarks on a cross-country trip with his young nephew. Mike Mills could literally do anything after 20th century women, and I will follow him. And beginners. I thought they were both great. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Beginners and 20th century women are two of the best of the past decade. Yeah. And teaming up with uh, recent Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix. And I I think that a blend of his style, if he like taps into maybe that uh, her, uh, you know, vulnerability that he I I mean, listen, I don't know the type of movie that Mike Mills is going for here, but I assume it's going to be in that vein. Well, judging on his previous work, yeah. <laughs> now, some of the films on this list are ones that, obviously, we've talked about before. They're the big ones, but they are still the ones to keep an eye on regardless. And this is Denny Villeneuve's adaptation of Dune. <sighs> you know what? I'm actually going to be maybe on the opposite end of people. I'm not really that much looking forward to Dune. Uh I am actually somebody that does not think that Denis Villeneuve is the second coming of greatest filmmakers ever. I think that he's okay. Um, I've never really loved any of his films, and I don't think Dune is going to break that trend, unfortunately. I Look, I tried. I have tried several times throughout the years to read Dune and could not get past 100 pages. And it has stymied filmmakers in the past. And if David Lynch can't make a good movie out of it, I don't think, I'm not sure Denis Villeneuve is the person who's going to. But, I mean, I I will happily watch it with the sound off. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it'll look great. It's the type of movie I know I'm going to leave humming the text. (laughs) All right, next up here. Film I got to see at Sundance. The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman, Olivia Williams, uh, written and directed by Florian Zeller, um, and also uh, written by Christopher Hampton. Uh, a man refuses all assistance from his daughter as he ages. As he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. Well, that sounds fun. It's one of my most anticipated of the year, honestly. <laughs> I can't wait for this. One of many stage-to-screen adaptations that we have coming later this year. Mm-hmm. And the hype is warranted for good reason. Anthony Hopkins is just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And we just see it. Uh, next up, another title that obviously we've all been dying to see. <laughs> it was also supposed to premiere at Cannes. The French Dispatch. Wes Anderson's latest film, a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. I want to go to there. I still maintain, I think this is maybe our best cinematography winner. I mean, look, I've said for a while that I think this is the potential best picture winner. So, you know, (laughs) I'm with you on that. I mean, art direction is a slam dunk. I better be. I don't know why I said art direction. <laughs> Production design. What am I doing? <laughs> Same difference. Yeah. What, what is this, 2010? <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up here. First of a few Netflix titles, Hillbilly Elegy. Directed by Ron Howard. Screenplay by Vanessa Taylor. Starring Amy Adams, Glenn Close, Haley Bennett. A man recalls his life growing up in the Midwest with Appalachian values. I mean, that cast alone... Come on. It's a very popular book. I'm intrigued to see what Ron Howard does with it. I think Ron Howard just working with Amy Adams and Glenn Close is a pretty good recipe, I I, I think. Yeah, but I would also say that this 
does also sound like a recipe for early Oscar buzz and then crashing and burning. I, it just seems like it also has that potential to me. Uh, next up here is I'm thinking of ending things. Full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. Written and directed by Charlie Kaufman, starring Tony Collette, Jesse Plemons, Jesse Buckley, and David Thewlis. I mean, Literally, Charlie Kaufman, I'm there. Ugh, yeah. All you needed to say was Charlie Kaufman, but that cast, that premise, it is catnip for me. <laughs> I, I agree. Charlie Kaufman, I think, is one of the greatest minds of our time, and... Even if his movies are not perfect, they are unbelievably interesting. And I th- I just think that he's one of the visionary storytellers. I really do. I, 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 I have nothing else more to say than that. I'm so, so excited to see how this turns out. Same. And let me tell you, you know, it's also really sad. Every time you hear stories about Charlie Kaufman's like behind the scenes um, status, whether he's a writer or if he's directing with Synecdoche in New York or with like uh, – Anomalisa, there's always like this struggle I always find uh, with the financing of his films. And, you know, it's it's like it's, it feels like he just doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. And I love that he's partnering with Netflix, who probably recognize, I imagine, the genius that is Charlie Kaufman and isn't going to give him hopefully any pushback. And I'm just hoping that he has a good experience overall <laughs> with this movie and, you know, the release of it and so on and so forth in the partnership with Netflix. But we'll see. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of Netflix, Mank follows screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz's tumultuous development of Orson Welles' iconic masterpiece, Citizen Kane, written by Jack Fincher, treatment by Eric Roth, apparently, uh, directed by David Fincher, starring Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, Lily Collins, still the frontrunner for Best Picture, in my opinion. The silence speaks good volumes here, because (laughs) what else can we say? We've spoken about this so many times, and we're all Mm -hmm. excited to see it. Yeah. The more I hear about it, like in interviews, I think to myself, black and white, Fincher, period. And I just like think about like things like Curious Case of Benjamin Button and then just imagining that like in black and white, you know, in certain sequences. And Mm -hmm. it's like this movie, I think, is going to blow us all away, most likely. This really feels like something where. I'm not even 100% sure it will win Best Picture. It probably is a frontrunner right now, but I really do feel mm-hmm. like regardless of what happens with that race, I, I feel like Fincher has to win director. Like, he's got an IOU. Yeah. He's got a big campaign that's going to be up for him. I feel like, if anything else, like, this will at least be redemption for him to win director. And I also think that Gary Oldman is going to have the same thing that happened with DiCaprio last year with Hollywood, where everybody's saying he's so much better than this than he won the Oscar for. Why did we not wait to give it to him for this, et cetera, et cetera? I I just have this gut feeling that Oldman is going to one up himself with this. Well, wouldn't be difficult to do that with The Darkest Hour, but. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) oh, next up, another Sundance film that I uh, got a chance to see. Very good. Minari. A Korean family moves to Arkansas to start a farm in the 1980s, written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung, starring Stephen Yun, Yeri Han, Young Jung Yoon. Oh, I want to see this <laughs> so badly. Me too. Easily the general consensus at Sundance was this was the best thing by far. I mean, like on the level of when everybody walked out of Sundance 2014 and it was just unanimous that Whiplash was like the overall best movie. There was no back and forth. It was like general agreement from everyone that Minari was the best. 
and it's an A24 uh, release this year. So that gives me a little bit of pause, especially when I see how The Farewell did last year, um, which is a comparison I'm sure people are going to make a lot, both being movies that premiered at Sundance from A24, have a recognizable lead um, at the forefront, but is, uh, you know, definitely a um, non-American. Well, in some ways it is American, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a universal story, universal story about family. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of parallels drawn there. So we'll see uh, how this one, you know, fares in the end. All right. Uh, oh, man. I feel like we've been talking about this movie forever. Mulan. I mean, <laughs> what else needs to be said? There, there's a select few people that have seen it, which is so that's even more infuriating, I feel like, than the Sundance crowd that I lumped myself into, you know? Because this movie did screen. It's like this weird limbo that that movie exists in where people have seen it, but not everybody has seen it and nobody can really talk about it. And yeah, who knows mm-hmm. when the rest of us will. <laughs> That's still up yeah. in the air. I think we need to keep our eye on it, though, for production design and costume design, though, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a tech player, but that's about as far as I see it going. Uh, this one, I have a feeling this is definitely going to be a festival player for sure. It, it just feels like it has to be. News of the World, directed by Paul Greengrass and starring Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Well, what's not to like there? What's not to like about that? A Western starring Tom Hanks? I mean, nothing. Yeah, although, what what was the last thing that Greengrass did that was good? That's a good question. Captain Phillips starring Tom Hanks, I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it, that was a while ago. Eh, seven years. If anything, you could say he's due for a, a, a good film on that same level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just his track record lately just has not really gotten me that enthusiastic so i mean i'm hoping for the best it sounds interesting i want it to be good but i will admit that having Greengrass as the director does not immediately uh bring me a lot of optimism considering what he's done lately uh another title that i feel like we've been talking about not just for forever but definitely for two award seasons at least nomadland a woman in her 60s who after losing everything in the great recession embarks on a journey through the american west living as a van dwelling modern day nomad starring francis mcdormand directed by chloe zhao can't wait to see it yeah i i i this this also feels like a telluride tiff type of movie that I think is going to be a critical darling and I can give Chloe Zhao uh, the boost that she needs for uh, when the Immortals uh, comes out next year. Uh, the Eternals. Eternals, sorry. <laughs> oh, Immortals was something much, much worse. <laughs> uh, next up. I know this is Josh Parham's most anticipated No Time to Die. Never heard of it. <laughs> James Bond has left active service. His peace is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Carrie Joy Fukunaga directing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> been watching the goalpost for this movie move for many, many times now. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I obviously am very much looking forward to it. It, it probably is my number one uh, of the year so far in terms of my anticipation. And whenever I get a chance to see it, I will be glad to do so. Here is a reality that I came to the conclusion of the other day at two hours and I think 46 minutes. I, I don't remember exactly the, the runtime, like yeah. but it's up there. 
I was thinking that if this is a disaster and this is bad, this could have the potential to be maybe the worst movie of the year just due to the disappointment and the enduring uh, runtime. Listen, I'm not saying it's going to be, but, you know, we've seen uh, high profile directors get attached to Bond films before and the results are less than great which is generally surprising sometimes, but yeah, I do think a combination of this being Daniel Craig's last in the role, I think he's going to give it his all. And hopefully that runtime is utilized well, where it's not a detriment to the movie. I hope so. And I, I do have a feeling like the producers and everybody involved sort of know that there is a lot of pressure on this movie, even before, you know, everything shut down that, there was already kind of this anticipation of this being Daniel Craig's last one and for the love of God, trying to make it better than Spectre. So I want to have faith that it's good. Uh, I think it will be, but we won't know until we actually get to see it. And like I said, whenever that date will be, I will certainly still be there. Uh, Next up here is On the Rocks, written and directed by Sofia Coppola, a young mother who reconnects with her larger-than-life playboy father on an adventure through New York. Starring Jenny Slate, Rashida Jones, and Bill Murray. So it's East Coast somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) That was so quick, Dan, that I didn't even know how to react. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always interested in what she's doing. I just feel like I've seen this before. Just like Dan said. So, you know, we'll see. It's a good cast. She's interesting. Why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got to keep your eye on Sofia Coppola. You always have to. You never know. Yes. I guess. No, I well, I so here's what I'm saying in regards to that. She was once part of the club with Lost in Translation, and she's never come close to that level of Academy success since then. But the idea is that she can again. It's like Gus Van Sant makes Goodwill Hunting. What the hell is going on for a couple of years? Next thing you know, milk, boom, back in the club again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would certainly say keep an eye on it in terms of like Oscar prospects. It's just for me personally, I've never really been that big of a fan of Sofia Coppola. So like her having a new movie just does nothing for me. Sorry. I mean, I've been a fan for a long time, but I was not a big fan of The Beguiled. And I don't really know. I, her career has peaks and valleys, I think. So this one could be really great or it could descend even lower. Speaking of peaks and valleys... The Prom. A troupe of hilariously self-obsessed theater stars swarm into a small conservative Indiana town in support of a high school girl who wants to take her girlfriend to the prom. When I said peaks and valleys, I was, of course, referring to Ryan Murphy. (laughs) The Prom on Broadway is one of the most joyous experiences I've had in recent years. It is just such a funny and warm and heartfelt and engaging, entertaining show that I would have loved to see the original cast transferred to film. But the cast they have in place here, for the most part, you know, it's not entirely perfect, but for the most part, is pretty damn good. I mean, you had me at Nicole Kidman, Meryl Streep, and Kerry Washington. I look the um, this casting is not the best, even though I love most of these people individually. But the material is so good. <laughs> like I, I, it's just Ryan Murphy, man. Like. What peaks? What peaks has he had? Oh, I love legitimately Ryan Murphy, so as a director. What peaks has he had? He's I thought Hollywood producer. was terrific. Mm. No, you, Michael. Even you're even you're smart enough to know the general consensus on Hollywood is that it's not great for majority of people. 
I thought it was excellent, and I thought uh, that's you, what I'm, I'm saying. You have to recognize that for the majority, though. Well, we'll see what the Emmy voters say in a few weeks. Oh my God, I can't get you to admit to anything. <laughs> see what yeah. the Television Academy says about his direction. Yeah, when he's wrong. All righty. Next up, my number one film of the year, still, promising young woman. A young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out revenge against those who cross her path. Emerald Fennell, writer-director, starring Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, and Laverne Cox. Yeah, you've done a very good job selling everybody on this movie, Matt. Mm-hmm. Not that I needed you to sell me on it, because yeah. the trailer was all I needed, too. I, I, I'm, I remain incredibly upset that we didn't get this in April like we were supposed to. I remain incredibly upset that we haven't gotten even a digital VOD announced because I just want people to see it at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's going to be a game changer. It's going to get a lot of people talking. I can tell you that right now. There's going to be so much discussion around this movie. Some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be ugly. But it's going to be one of the most talked about movies of the year. Can't wait. Uh, next up, a film that some people did see before the shutdown happened and I was so close. This was going to be the movie I was going to see the next day and then the shutdown happened and there are people who have seen it and they are singing the praises of it. Mm-hmm. And the first film did do well in the award season so we have to uh, consider it here. It's A Quiet Place Part 2. Yeah, Can't wait to see it. I am of two minds about when I want to see it though because on one hand I'm dying to see it and wish Paramount would just sell it to Netflix so we can all experience it. But on the other hand I want that's one I do want to see it in a theater, but I don't want to go back to the theater for like a year. So, yeah. You know, it's like, when do you want to see it? But how do you want to see it? How incredible would it be? I mean, just walk with me for a minute here. If Emily Blunt's first Oscar nomination is not just from a horror film that's a studio, you know, backed genre movie, but also a sequel, <laughs> like, it would be so just so bizarre. <laughs> Uh, but man, she won SAG. She won SAG for A Quiet Place, which is yeah. still one of the coolest award season wins I think I've ever seen. <laughs> to be fair, she was almost Oscar nominated the first time for a sequel. Okay, Michael. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. For those that don't get the joke, Mary Poppins returns. <laughs> uh, next up, Soul. A musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. Pete, doctor, writing and directing, Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Quest Love. I can't wait for this. The new stills that they've put out and the little clips showing off the animation in this movie. This is like some of the most beautiful looking Pixar I've ever seen. Agreed. Mm -hmm. It looks incredible. I mean, Pete Doctor's got a perfect filmography, in my opinion. He's never made a bad film. I don't believe that we're going to get there now. I am a little worried about him telling um, person of color story and uh, the optics of that and how that's going to come off to the public. But other than that, I think this looks absolutely gorgeous. It looks inventive. I, I, I also, in that regard... I do wonder if people are going to compare it too heavily to Inside Out, that it might hurt it just in regards to it just mm-hmm. being a creative uh, premise. Um, I, like, I don't know. Even when I look at it, listen, the human real world stuff looks great, but all the stuff with the soul characters, it does remind me of Inside Out. It really does. Yeah. 
No. So I, I don't know if other people are feeling the same way there. I mean, at the same time, you just want to withhold, uh, withhold judgment until you actually see the finished full film. Sure. You know? uh, next up, Stillwater. A father travels from Oklahoma to France to help his daughter, who has been arrested for murder, starring Matt Damon, Abigail Breslin, Camille Cotton. It is directed by Tom McCarthy. Yeah, sign me up. Hmm. I mean, as long as it's not the cobbler, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is another one that I don't know a ton about. And uh, the people involved certainly make it sound interesting. I don't know if it's like high up on my list of anticipated, but, you know, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Uh, next up is a little film called Tenet. Hmm. Haven't heard Tenet. of it. Yeah. What, what's Tenet about? It, I hope it's got like a really interesting director attached to it. Some guy named Christopher Nolan? Hmm. I think he's going to sweep the directorial debut awards this year. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I heard he's going to get a DGA nomination, but not an Oscar nomination for directing. <laughs> uh, but seriously, John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki. Um, this movie is going to be, for all intents and purposes, the first movie we most likely see in the theaters if we decide to go back to the theaters. And when... Theaters eventually open. The goalpost, as Josh mentioned before, keeps getting moved for this movie time and time again to the point now that it's laughable. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I'll believe that it's real until I'm sitting in that theater and actually watching the damn thing. Because <laughs> I just, I don't know. This whole moving it two weeks thing. How many times are you going to do that before you just you just can't anymore? And you got to push it out much further. You know. Yeah, I, I really do feel like they should just move it to next year. This whole, like, inching it further and further into the calendar for 2020 just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But, again, this is another one that I am highly anticipating. I love Christopher Nolan and his movies, and I want to see this in a proper IMAX. I would prefer to do that in 2021, but, mm -hmm. you know, we'll wait and see. Uh, next up here is Those Who Wish Me Dead. A teenage murder witness uh, finds himself pursued by twin assassins in the Montana wilderness with a survival expert tasked with protecting him and a forest fire threatening to consume them all. It is uh, directed by Taylor Sheridan, and it is starring Nicholas Holt, Angelina Jolie, and John Bernthal. Okay. I like the sound of it. Hmm. Angelina Jolie working in this uh, style sounds really interesting, but I wasn't a huge fan of a fan of Wind River. I like when Taylor Sheridan is writing movies. So we'll see what this looks like. It could go either way. Well, you said Nicholas Holt, and that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Aaron Sorkin's follow-up to Molly's Game. Story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, recently picked up by Netflix. I cannot wait for this movie. This is one of my three most anticipated of the rest of the year. Same. Awesome, awesome, awesome cast. Like, you could just name three people and it's already good enough. And then it just goes mm -hmm. bench deep. So many wonderful people here from Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne down to Jeremy Strong and Mark Rylance and Frank Langella and William Hurt and Ben Shankman and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah, the cast is insane for this movie. Yup. Do we just think that Netflix is trying to do what they did last year with Irishman and Marriage Story? They want to have two contenders at the very least. And that was why they made the move. 
Yeah, I, I, I think, think Paramount's Netflix... looking to get rid of I mean, clearly Paramount was looking to get rid of it, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I also feel like Netflix kind of senses that obviously this is a very unique situation and a unique year that we're in, and mm-hmm. I think that the playing field is kind of slightly in their favor, and I think that they are trying to make as many bets as they can to get in on this race and finally get best picture for themselves. Yeah. And I think that (laughs) if there's much more of this sort of thing, I think it's going to seem very craven on their part. Um, But I think the interesting thing here is that like Paramount was selling this for what is not, an extremely high price, I don't think. And that says something to me that they wouldn't want this movie in their grasp for award season. And that's what I, I think that what they're saying, what this movie is saying is that they do not think that theaters and theatrical distribution is going to be back in a big enough way to, for anything to make money for quite a while. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, a movie about the 68 Democratic Convention is going to appeal to a certain type of audience that is at high risk of contracting the coronavirus. So why would they want to venture out to a theater if they could just sit in their living rooms and watch it on their nice big TVs through Netflix? And on the low end, let's imagine for a minute that if the movie was not a huge awards player and it was a movie that got like lost mm. in the shuffle, if it was a Paramount release, maybe. $56 million, which is what Netflix paid for it, would be the type of gross that I would expect in a scenario yep. like that. If it was a hit mm. and a huge Oscar player, $100 million grosser easily. Mm-hmm. But I personally, on paper, this screams writing winner, acting yeah. winner, best picture winner. Yeah. We'll wait and say. Last but not least, The Berg. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. At first, I thought you were going to say Peter Berg's West Side Story, and I got very confused. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, recent controversy surrounding uh, one of the film's main stars uh, won't completely derail this, because otherwise, the other people that are involved are absolutely lovely and deserve a shot, at the very least, to make this happen. It kind of sucks that this movie already has a lot working against it, just in regards to it's a beloved remake of... a, a Well, it's a remake of a beloved movie. <laughs> yeah, it is not beloved yet. <laughs> I Look, I... I can't wait for this. I think Steven Spielberg doing a musical, I've waited for this since the opening scene of Temple of Doom. I think that him choosing to remake West Side Story of all the possible musicals he could have made shows a lot of hubris. And I'm not going to say I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm definitely side-eyeing it a lot. Screenplay by Tony Kushner. Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah. The, the Tony Kushner thing gives me hope. <laughs> I love Tony Kushner. He's not infallible. I love him, but, and certainly like if there was something that needed to be worked on a West Side Story, it is the book, but even still, just the way the original West Side Story is filmed, there aren't a lot of movies between then and now that can stand up to it. So he's got a big job ahead of him, and I don't know that he's up to it. 
For those who caught Hamilton over the last weekend, just know that Ariana DeBose, who was in the ensemble and plays the bullet at the yeah. end of Hamilton, mm-hmm. is playing Anita here in West Side Story. So if you notice her throughout the show, and I don't know how you couldn't notice her, she's breathtaking. She's uh, amazing. Watch for her star to rise here and in the prom. She has a big role in that, too. So go Ariana DeBose. So that does it for our list here. Um, all of those are listed on uh, the poll for uh, nextbestpicture.com this week. Uh, you can cast a vote there. Um, and there's a write-in option as well. So since we do have that write-in option, I would like to just toss it over to you guys. If there's anything here that I did not mention that um, is off the top of your head, something that you're looking forward to, uh, that could be an Oscar contender in, in the uh, later uh, half of the year. Yeah, there were actually a few that I was thinking about, which goes to show how many things we have to look forward to later this year. Uh we were talking about stage to screen adaptations. There's going to be the humans based on the Tony winning play from 2016. Ma Rainey's black bottom at Netflix with Viola Davis based on the August Wilson play, the boys in the band, which is also going to be at Netflix. Uh, and then another Netflix movie, they just keep doing it blonde based on the Joyce Carol Oates novel starring Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. I think that's been confirmed for 2021. Yeah. Oh, has it? Yeah. I'm pretty positive. Uh, there's that. Oh, and Happiest Season, which is going to be some studio rom-com with uh, Kristen Stewart and Dan Levy, Clea Duvall's directing it. That sounds really interesting. Uh, for me, the only one that I have sort of had my eye on, not even just as an Oscar player, but just because I just want to see it. Um, Michael, you mentioned it as one of the Netflix movies coming out, uh, The Boys in the Band. I am very intrigued by that play, especially considering how much of its time it really is. And I'm yeah. curious to see how that translates to a modern sensibility, if at all. And um, I know that it has the same cast of the revival from a couple of years ago. So I'm, I'm very interested in seeing and seeing that one. All right, cool. Uh, very, very excited overall. Definitely uh, a lot of contenders that we'll be talking about uh, over the next couple of weeks. And we'll also be opening up the uh, Oscar prediction pages uh, pretty soon, too, with our first official predictions of the year. Uh, some of these titles will most likely be mentioned there. So stay tuned for more information on that. Speaking of award season here, just a little bit of news. So uh, we got our final uh, televised awards uh, announcement for SAG. Uh, the date has been moved due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So now that we've gotten that announcement, here is what we know at the moment. We know that the Golden Globes will be on February 28th, 2021, uh, which is also the last day for any films to be eligible for uh, this year's Oscars. Uh, The following week, Critics' Choice Awards, March 7th. And then uh, following that, like I said before, um, then you have the uh, SAG Awards on uh, January. uh, I'm sorry. Um. On March 14th, uh, 2021. Uh, And then you'll have the BAFTA Awards uh, soon right after that, uh, which is going to be April 11th and the Oscars on April 25th. And why not? We'll just mention the Independent Spirit Awards the day before the Oscars, April 24th. But as far as televised award shows go, uh, that is our slate uh, for 2021. And it still doesn't feel real to me. Yeah. You know how they say March goes in like a lion and out like a lamb? Mm. With mm-hmm. fourth season extending into April, nothing's going to go out like a lamb here. God. Everyone's going to be vicious until the end. I feel like this award season might destroy me. I don't know. Just from an endurance standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I think if you can survive 2018's award season, you can survive anything. <laughs> but imagine if it's like yeah. 2018 all over again, but just elongated. <laughs> God, oh lord. Uh, other announcements. Uh, Sundance, much like uh, TIFF, uh, they sent the memo out uh, that they are going to be exploring digital options. They might be uh, reducing the number of theaters that they utilize or increasing. I mean... Everybody right now is trying to figure out uh, what to do, essentially. In their case, I think they're actually looking beyond Utah uh, for the 2021 festival, which is set to still take place in January. And who knows? As we uh, talked about before, Sundance could be used as a launch pad this year uh, because of the new eligibility window, which would be pretty shocking to see, but uh, interesting nonetheless, especially for any kind of late-breaking contenders. Yeah, that's going to be the most interesting thing, I think, actually, about this whole new timeline is that movies that premiere there, you know, if they get it out in proper uh, distribution within a couple weeks, suddenly they're a contender in a way that we never would have seen before. So for as much gripes as I have about kind of the changing landscape of this award season, at, at least it is providing us with something completely different and unique and that is still something kind of exciting to experience. Uh, this is different. This is unique. Uh, another piece of news. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced uh, another change. Agents are now able to vote on the Oscars, where previously they did not have the ability to do so. Um, okay. <laughs> it's about time. I mean, if they're going to be members, why not have the voting privileges? Well, I'm so excited for everyone to blame the agents for whatever film they don't like that wins being at the Oscars next year. (laughs) (laughs) I I think there is. I think there is a conflict of interest, but then you do have to sometimes say to yourself, well, where else is isn't there? Anyone there's a conflict of interest anywhere. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, like the people that are nominated or are part of these nominated films that they can vote. So it's like there's conflicts of interest all over the place. It isn't just going to be with the agents. And last but not least, uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences did announce uh, 2020 new Academy members uh, for this year. Invitations have gone out. And it was quite a list of names. Uh, you had Yalitia Aparicio, uh, Aquafina. You had Anna de Armas on there, Cynthia Revo, Kelvin Harrison Jr., Brian Tyree Henry. Um, it was just like a who's who as you went down the list here. Uh, was there anything about the uh, announcement of the invitees that uh, stood out to you? I just want to say I'm honored to be invited to join the director's <laughs> branch for my <laughs> debut in <laughs> Falcon. Yeah, that was a great honor last year, and I really look forward to being a member of the Academy and voting for these prestigious awards. So thank you, Academy. 819 invitations in total. Uh, the 2020 class is 45% women, 36% underrepresented uh, ethnic racial communities, and 49% international from 68 countries. Yeah. You know, it's always interesting when you look at this list. I always like to find the person that you would have thought like, man, they weren't an Academy member already. And for me, that was um, Terrence Davies, who has had a very long career. He's in his 70s and has made many great films. And they just have now gotten to inviting him into the Academy. I found that to be very interesting. Ben Mendelsohn uh, was one that raised my eyebrow a little bit. Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, I couldn't believe that yeah. one. 
Uh, Matt, your two friends got into the director's branch, it looks like. You have Robert Eggers and Ari Aster. Yeah, my boys. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to actually a friend of mine, uh, publicist, uh, Albertello, who got an invitation. So shout out to uh, Albert. Congratulations on that. Uh, as you uh, can tell when you go through the list, there's a lot of uh, people that get inv- invites for movies that came out like over the last like two years, especially. So um, you see a lot of people uh, like Lulu Wang for The Farewell, for example. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Someone who, like, you know, just comes onto the Academy's radar. And Alma Harrell is another one that I see is listed here underneath the uh, director's branch, for example. And yeah. Maddie Diop. Oh, Maddie Diop. Yeah. That was one of those, like, there. I love looking at the list and going, like, well, whose ballot do I most want to see? And Maddie Diop was one. Um, Adele Hanel. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Udo Kier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, Natasha Leone. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> you know, another thing that I also love looking at this list is, you know, sometimes one person will get invites from two different branches and then yes. they'll have to pick. And it's always interesting to try to guess which one they will pick, but the one that tickled me the most was Cynthia Erivo, who was invited by both the acting branch and the music branch. Yep. And I just sort of felt like, well, I wonder which one she's going to pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And before we get to our fan questions, we have a trailer to discuss here. Uh, we received a teaser uh, this week for Respect, uh, starring Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin. Uh, let's take a look at this. Give some thoughts. Scheduled to be released uh, December 25th, 2020. And then expanding with a wide release January 15th, 2021. Or so they say. <laughs> but in any event, let's take a look at the trailer. How many albums have you had? Four. And no hits. Honey, find the songs that move you. Until you do that, you ain't going nowhere. Aretha, you do talk, don't you? Not just sing. I'd like you to call me Miss Franklin. to disturb the peace when you can't get no peace. This is going to have to be so bad if she doesn't get nominated because from the looks of this trailer, well, I'm just blown away by Jennifer Hudson and the little bit that we've seen of her as Aretha Franklin. I think it's perfect casting to have her play Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Well, and Aretha wanted her specifically. Yeah. So, and it's a really amazing supporting cast. Yeah, I mean, Forrest Whitaker. Um, you also have uh, Mark Maron, uh, Mary J. Blige, Titus Burgess, Audra McDonald, Marlon yeah. Wayans, Haley Kilgore, Mary J. Blige. You said Heather Headley. A lot of great Broadway people here. I'm really like I. I'm still not over the perfect casting of Mary J. Blige as Dinah Washington. Like, ugh. Perfect. Flawless. Give her the supporting actress Oscar now, please. Thank you. 
obviously yeah. um there is a bit of biopic syndrome uh coming through in this trailer a little bit and i saw a lot of people a kind of reacting bit. A bit. <laughs> uh, i saw a lot of people reacting more than a little bit uh to that uh with just a shrug and a meh you know once they saw that that was the route that the movie looks like it's going to go but we don't know what narrative framing device they're going to use to be able to tell the story yet necessarily and quite frankly at the end of the day, I mean, I think this is just going to be like Judy was for Renee Zellweger. This is going to be the Jennifer Hudson show. I actually is that got a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to see if Jennifer Hudson can make her way back uh, to the Oscars uh, with another nomination, if possible. Sure. I'm excited I... for that. But I will be honest that this trailer did make it look like very traditional biopic material. And that does not excite me. Yeah, I got major get on up vibes from this trailer. And that was like basically one live wire leading performance, good supporting performances and just okay movie. Well, at the very least, Golden Globe, uh, Best Actress, Comedy Musical nominee. Oh, at the very least, nothing. Well, that would be the very least. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm remaining optimistic. Yeah, I'm really optimistic. I mean, give me Audrey McDonald and anything, and I'm there. But like I said, Jennifer Hudson looked terrific in this trailer. I love seeing Mark Maron as Jerry Wexler. I listen to Mark Maron's podcast uh, twice a week, and he's been talking about his experience working on this and doing his prep and research. So it's funny to watch that all come together in the trailer. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. And now, finally, to end things off here, some questions from the fans let's take a look here richard holahan asks after tom hooper's cats and darren aronofsky's mother who's a respected filmmaker that you think is destined to make a movie that drops them from critical favor uh i'm gonna counteract that i don't believe mother did that for darren aronofsky but i see your point yeah that was more a popular thing than critical thing hmm but interesting question regardless who do i think has the capability of Dropping out of critical favor. I mean, realistically, anybody can. Yeah. I, I You know, it's funny. I, maybe the one person who can is Martin Scorsese, because even uh, Shutter Island still got decent reviews. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm trying to think, like, who's someone that's vulnerable that could, that is, like, riding a wave, but could make something pretty disastrous? Um, Wes Anderson. Oh, that's Let's a good one. It. Like, yeah, but... But I think Wes Anderson is also like, yeah, he's kind of sort of invincible, I think, to a certain degree, because he's always going to have those people that even the bad stuff, they'll love him no matter what. Yeah. 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 Like the Criterion Collection, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Every one of his movies without fail. (laughs) I hate to say this because he's one of my favorite people working today and I've loved everything I've seen from him. But I think if he were to ever make like a truly, truly bad film that is the undisputedly cats level bad. There would be no coming back, at least for a while, for someone like Damien Chazelle. Oh, yeah. 
Damien Chazelle is a good one. And the one that I'm thinking is somewhat along those lines. I think Ari Aster. Yes. The second he grows too big for his britches, like Midsummer got really close. And now with that news from the other week that about his next, like, what, four hour long movie or whatever it is. I'm like, oh boy. Hubris. Hubris is a killer. Just saying. Yep, I agree. I think... I think Trey Edward Schultz is another one that falls into that category. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eh, we'll see. David Mitchell Baker asks, with I'm thinking of ending things confirmed for a September release, do you see any awards potential in its future, bearing in mind that four of Kaufman's films have been nominated before? I mean, yeah. Yep. Should always the writers branch have something to say. At the very least, a writing nomination. Very least. Mm. Oscar H uh, at V underscore film underscore maniac. What is your most embarrassing Oscar prediction? One for a win and one for a nomination. Ooh, mm. embarrassing. Uh, I don't think I could adopt myself from last week when I mentioned my collateral beauty prediction that one time. Oh, Lord. That was pretty brutal. I'll probably think mm. of another. I can probably dig deeper to find something here, but I think my year in advance prediction for silence and like Liam Neeson supporting actor win and you know like <laughs> like are year in advance predictions that embarrassing though like nobody knows what they're talking about with year in advance like I, so like I have some bad calls like that but at the same time it's like well nobody saw these movies we were all just guessing and most of them we know are going to be wrong anyway so I, I guess like an embarrassing example would be if you had cats predicted for best picture for example who had cats predicted for best picture i think there were there were some there were Ugh, those people are look i love cats but that was never gonna win best picture <laughs> Ooh, isaiah washington asks uh of the following filmmakers which do you prefer from them more their writing or their directing first up paul thomas anderson directing 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 yeah. Greta Gerwig. Writing. Writing. You know what? I don't know, actually. It, I, I think I'm going to say writing, but it's closer than I think for a lot of other people it would be. Agreed. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino. Directing. Directing. Oh, it depends that's... on the movie, actually. Like, yeah. sometimes I, I am in love with his direction more than the writing, and then other times I think his screenplay is the stronger element. It To me, it just depends on the movie. See, for me, I'm always in love with his direction, and it's his writing that sinks the movie for me or not. Yeah, I think that's fair, actually. Like, his directing is always good, and his, directing, his writing can be hit or miss. He would yeah, love to hear us say this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Uh, Pete Doctor, uh, writing, directing. I would say writing. Yeah, I would too. And Spike Lee, directing, directing. Yeah, I'd say directing. <sighs> that's hard because some. Uh, that's yeah. one of those cases where I think Spike Lee, the director, does not have a very critical eye when it comes to Spike Lee, the writer. And I think his writing is often very, very good, but his directing doesn't is too protective of his work as a writer and is unwilling to cut anything, even if it would be beneficial. Yeah, Spike Lee is one of those people that like he always has really interesting ideas and you have to give credit to the screenplay for that. But a lot of times it is his direction that will either 
elevate that material or flesh out even more of the flaws with it. So it's yeah. this weird like relationship between writer and director that can both be beneficial and like can uh, make it succumb to some of the faults of it as well. So I think taken as a whole, I still think that I appreciate his directorial touches more so than the writing, but it is like you kind of have to take the whole package with him. Juan Carlos Oyano, aside from Parasite, what is your favorite international feature winner uh, from the 2010s? Amor. Yeah, I'd probably have to go with Amor as well. That's a stunner. I would go with Roma, which actually is my favorite uh, international feature winner. And even though I do love Parasite, I would actually say Roma is my favorite. (laughs) A separation. A separation is my very close runner-up to Amor. There's a lot of good winners in this decade. Yeah, Scott Kernan, what is who is your favorite director, and uh, what pick would you consider to be their magnum opus piece? Does not necessarily mean your personal favorite, but what is the film that incorporates everything the filmmaker has to offer and is considered to be the best film that they have created? Ooh. Okay, I'll be extremely obvious and say Alfred Hitchcock, Rear Window. It's a good choice. I say Steven Spielberg, E.T. Hmm. I'm going to say Paul Thomas Anderson. And actually, I think for like a magnum opus, um, I think I'd actually say Boogie Nights. It's not my favorite, but I think it has all the qualities that I usually like about him that are in that movie. Yep. This is going to sound bizarre. So bear with me. Please. <laughs> My favorite director is Martin Scorsese. Well, that's not shocking. Yeah. But I think a movie that I would show to someone to be like, hey, this is everything that Martin Scorsese is about in a single movie. Is surprisingly not Goodfellas. I think I would show them The Wolf of Wall Street. You're crazy. <laughs> I think that's a good pick, actually. I think you get... You're so crazy. much of you get a little crime, you get a little comedy, you get rise you know, and fall, anti hero protagonist. Yeah. I agree. I think it's a little bit of everything. That's what I loved about it at the time and continue to love about it. Anyway, moving on. Brendan Riley, in the spirit of Palm Springs coming out on Friday, what is your favorite SNL digital short? Ooh. Um,. I love the the Natalie Portman raps. Yo, me too. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Those were so great. Especially the most recent one. I still watch that like every once in a while. I'll just put that on because it instantly makes me feel better. Those are great. I also love the um, the Leslie Jones, Kyle Mooney romance ones. (laughs) They're just silly. I love SNL, but I'm totally blanking on some of the older ones. So I'll just go for my favorite of the recent ones. And that was Grouch, the Joker parody. Oh, that was good. That was really funny. I agree. Yeah. Okay. And then we're going to close things out here with Ethan May. Replace the weakest nominee, in your opinion, from the categories below and choose who should be there instead. So they are going with an entire film year here. So we're doing the Oscars from 20... No, from, yeah, 2007. Okay, so Mm. film year, year. uh, 2007, here we go. All right, 
Fun Times, Original Screenplay, 2007, Juno, Lars and the Real Girl, Michael Clayton, Ratatouille, The Savages, Replace the Weakest. So I have actually not seen Lars and the Real Girl yet. It's the only one of these nominees. <sighs> I don't want to replace any of them. Hmm. Well, it's a little unfair, but I will say Lars and the Real Girl just because I haven't seen it yet. Um, but if I'm going to replace it, I would replace it with Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. That's my runner-up, Enchanted, one. which I'm going to put in place of Lars and the Real Girl, which I have seen and prefer Enchanted over it. I, 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 I too, would put in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I would replace... Uh, God, that's, that's the replacement part that's hard. I'll just say Lars and the Real Girl as well. I, I, I like the Savages too much. Uh, I may actually pick michael clayton as the one that i want to replace Mm -hmm. that would that's actually my preference of the five (laughs) it it is the one that i have seen least recently so it's possible that um you know on a rewatch i would choose that over lars and the real girl the other three i I am not one yeah i know and if uh if I have to pick something to go in its place, part of me wants to say hey, both Enchanted and Before the Devil Knows You're Dead are good choices. Um, no, <laughs> The Orphanage, and that was 2007. Yes, it was. All right. I love that movie. I'd be down with that. Uh, best Director. 2007 uh paul thomas anderson there will be blood tony gilroy michael clayton jason reitman for juno julian schnabel for the diving bell and the butterfly and joel cohen and ethan cohen for no country for old men again i don't want to replace any of these (laughs) i'm kicking out julian schnabel kicking him to the curb and saying hello to joe wright for atonement you know i actually think atonement is probably joe wright's strongest directorial effort and i think i would replace tony gilroy yeah, Tony yeah. Gilroy is the one that I would replace too. And Michael Clayton's a solid thriller, but the direction is not really. Yeah, and you're all okay leaving Julian Schnabel in there. Absolutely, I love Diving Bell and the Butterfly, and his direction is re- is what probably the strongest element of it. I would actually, if I'm replacing anyone for director, I think. I would put in John Carney for once. I like that. Mm. Nice choice. I actually think I would drop Jason Reitman for Juno. Um, And this is also maybe something else where I just haven't seen Juno in a very long time. And when I did see it, the direction didn't really stand out to me, to be honest with you. Um, And in terms of who I would replace him with, I feel like this is not going to be popular, but I would replace him with Tim Burton for Sweeney Todd. Huh. Uh, yeah, you were right, Josh. Not popular. <laughs> that, that's all right. Hell this Prince is rolling like, in his grave. Well, you know what? <laughs> I admit I do not have any familiarity with the original material, but this was at the time, especially for me, when I was a huge Burton fan, and I do consider Sweeney Todd like the last great movie that he made. And I love what he does with the film. So that's my answer. And I completely, completely overlooked and forgot that Zodiac was 2007. So Fincher gets my slot instead of uh, Joe Wright. Uh, That's a good pick, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next up here. 
Cinematography. Holy shit, it's one of the all-time great oh, lineups God. for cinematography. Yeah. No way. <laughs> no way. How? Oh, How? This is, yeah. Oh. No Country for All Men, Diving Bell and the Butterfly, Atonement, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, and There Will Be Blood. I, 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 I don't know what to do here. I, um, well, I am kicking Diving Bell out again. Place, uh, uh, before the de- uh, Sorry, not Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I was looking at my wrong category here. In place of, you're, Matt, you're going to like this, Zodiac. Yeah, but even still, I, I think Diving Bell and the Butterfly is stronger cinematography than Zodiac. My lord. Um, I love John Minsky terrific but i really like oh Wolf of Zodiac God. quite a bit this is like again if i if you're absolutely forcing me to and this is not going to be popular i'm going to take out deacons for no country and fuck i don't know who i'd re- no okay fine you know what i'd replace him with and this is <laughs> wait no i can't do that actually that that wouldn't count i don't think i was gonna say i want to put a <laughs> death proof in there uh-huh but I don't think that would actually count because it was Grindhouse, not yeah. Death Deathproof separately. Um, While you're thinking of that, Dan, I have my answer, and it's extremely unpopular, probably. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say just so that I have an answer here. Mm-hmm. Replace No Country for Old Men with 300. Okay. 300. <laughs> 300 was 2007? Yeah, it was. It was. But it's CGI yeah. soup. I huh. think I it's... would replace Diving Bell and the Butterfly with Into the Wild. Oh, yeah. Into the Wild was good. I, I want to do something like weird and say like, but I'm not going to. And I'm just going to go all in and say I'd put the orphanage in. There's some beautiful shots in that movie. Well, you know, Dan, if you wanted to say Grindhouse, it would probably just be like Tarantino and Rodriguez since they both shot their own. Yeah, they did. Yeah. But I don't like the cinematography on Planet Terror as much as Death Proof. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that, too. (laughs) Which is weird because that was the first time Tarantino ever was his own DP. And Rodriguez has been doing that from the beginning. And no. death, like the cinematography in Death Proof is insane. Yeah, for someone who had never done it before, it is crazy. <laughs> Just like I still can't get over that. All right, best actor: Viggo Mortensen for Eastern Promises, Tommy Lee Jones in The Valley of Ella, Johnny Depp for Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, George Clooney for Michael Clayton, and Daniel Day Lewis for There Will Be Blood. I am. Uh, I'm taking out Johnny Depp. And I'd replace him with Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Savages. I am going to do the exact same thing. Exact same thing as the two of you. I would probably also remove Johnny Depp, even though I do like Johnny Depp in that movie, actually. But I will also admit that I think he's the weakest of that bunch. Um, I would also replace him with Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I would choose Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Mm hmm. I can see that. That car breakdown scene he has is so, so intense. That movie's so good. Uh, Supporting actor. Tom Wilkinson, Michael Clayton, Hall Hallbrook for Into the Wild, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Charlie Wilson's War, Casey Affleck, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, and Javier Bardem for No Country for Old Men. Easily taken out Philip Seymour Hoffman for Charlie (sighs) Wilson's War. I love him in that. 
I do not remember a damn thing about that movie. I didn't remember a damn thing about that movie the day after I saw it. He's the only oh, thing I, I really, really do remember about it. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is tough I've never seen uh, Into the Wild, and I've only seen bits and pieces of Jesse James. So I, I wouldn't feel right taking out Holbrook or Affleck just because I haven't judged them fairly. So I guess I won't answer who I take out, but I will say that I would like to put in, and don't yell at me for this, I'm putting in John Travolta for Hairspray. I'm going to demand that you take somebody out for that, Michael. <laughs> Fine. Then what I'll do, just to be fair, of Bardem, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Tom Wilkinson, I will take off Philip Seymour Hoffman, even though I really do like Charlie Wilson's work quite a bit. Now, what I would do is that I would take out Affleck, because I would put him into the best actor category where he should be. And mm-hmm. to replace him, I would pick the actual best supporting actor from uh, Jesse James, which is Sam Rockwell. Ooh, I, I thought you were going to go sideways and say Pitt, but I'm glad you said uh, oh, Rockwell. No, that's that's nice. awesome. I love Sam Rockwell in that movie. He is actually my best supporting actor personal winner for uh, 2007. I like that a lot. Um, but the person that I'm going to put in <laughs> <laughs> is Peter Dinklage I hope from Death at a Funeral. Oof. <laughs> oh. See, I thought you were going to say James Marsden in Enchanted, and I got really excited. I I would like it to be James Marsden in Enchanted. I love him in that movie, but I have to give a shout-out to Dinklage because like, Death at a Funeral is hilarious, and he is the funniest part of it. I'm going to say take out Hal Hallbrook and replace with Robert Downey Jr. in Zodiac. He's really good in Zodiac, too. Yeah, he is. I'm surprised I once said J.K. Simmons in Juno. Love him, but I don't know that he'd be like... He's on my sixth. And then last but not least, supporting actress... Tilda Swinton, Michael Clayton, Kate Blanchett, I'm Not There, Ruby D, American Gangster, Sir Sharona and Atonement, Amy Ryan, Gone Baby Gone. Taking out Amy Ryan and replacing her with Michelle Pfeiffer in Hairspray. <laughs> I am taking out Ruby D and replacing her also with Michelle Pfeiffer, but from Stardust. <laughs> I'm going to also take out Ruby D. Sorry, I love you, but like not for that performance. Yeah. And yeah. I would replace her with Taraji P. Henson for Talk to Me. I, too, am taking out Ruby D. I'm so, so sorry. And I am replacing with Jennifer Gardner in Juno. I'm so glad yeah. you said oh, that. That's I was good really one. tempted to. She's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant in Juno. And just to kind of round things out here, because uh, even uh, didn't mention it in the tweet, but we'll just do Best Actress since it's the only acting category that's left here. Uh, Marion Cotillard, La Vie and Rose, Kate Blanchett, Elizabeth, The Golden Age, Julie Christie, Away from Her, Laura Linney, The Savages, Ellen Page, Juno. I mean, this it's obviously so Kate easy. Blanchett. This is so easy. Yeah. Take out Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth and replace her with Amy Adams for Enchanted. It's not Thank that you. I, I was going to say that that's a unanimous <laughs> yes for me. Uh, I would pick a different person to replace Blanchett with them instead of Amy Adams. I would choose... Um, Tang Wei from Lust Caution. Love that, that choice. Also an excellent choice. Really, yeah. really love that choice. Damn. Lust Caution is great. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that'll do it here for episode 201. Thank you, everyone, that submitted uh, questions for this week. And, Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Dan Bear? You can find me on Twitter at dancingdanonfilm. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at jrparham. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 201 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Write a comment down there. Rate us five stars. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.